Hi there, it's Yana Firestone here. And before we jump into the new episode of The Curious Life, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to my new project, The Days That Follow. It's a grief recovery podcast where I'll be tapping into my own personal experience with grief, as well as my expertise as a therapist who's worked extensively in grief and trauma and talking with some very well-known people about their experiences with grief and how they transformed that into something meaningful. It's a space for transformation. We'll be having those tough conversations about what it's like to be stuck in the mud in the darkest places with grief, but most importantly, how we move through it. It's a grief recovery podcast, and I look forward to sharing these stories of hope and inspiration and hopefully leaving you feeling a little bit better at the end of each episode than you did at the start. Let's change the landscape of grief together. Let's make the days that follow count. You can find the new pod on Instagram at the days that follow, and I look forward to going on this journey with you. But for now, here's more of The Curious Life. up on this episode of The Curious Life, Yana is joined by Yumi Steins. Yumi has been on our TVs for over 20 years. She's a writer, presenter, broadcaster, food fanatic, fitness enthusiast, mother of four, author, including a brand spanking new book called Welcome to Sex, a frank age-appropriate introductory guide to sex and sexuality for teens of all genders, podcaster, including ABC's Ladies We Need to Talk, and as you can probably tell, she's got energy to burn. Yumi and Yana chat how to grab those moments for you, ways not to miss out, consent and a whole heap more. You are really going to enjoy this chat. Yumi Steins, seconds away on The Curious Life. Yumi, thank you so much for joining me today on The Curious Life. I'm so excited. You've been on my list, my wish list for a long time. So I'm just so thrilled to have you here. It's really exciting. Thanks for having me. Now, the reason we're here today is because you are one of the guests on Power Talk with Kemi Nekvapil, which is an audible original. Like what a great concept. So you actually sat down for a coaching session one-on-one with Kemi. What was that like for you? Well, it was actually pretty good in that I've met Kemi for over the years. And so I've known her maybe for 10 years and I felt already a connection with her and an admiration for her. Mm-hmm. I'd read her book and I was kind of keen. So I think it's a bit like being suggestible, like I was ready, you know, like I was, <laughs> yeah. I was ready to give, I was ready to be raw. But I also like, she sort of said, what's your motivation for being here? And I said, um, to hang out with you. <laughs> you know, you, you get so busy in your life that if you get the opportunity to just be with someone who's cool, yeah. even if it's work, you'll take it and you'll yeah. love it and you'll try and wring some good experiences out of it, you know, because yeah. as you know, when you've got kids, you have less time for that sort of stuff. So you you actually totally. seek it out and really enjoy getting the most out of it. So Kemi, if you don't know her, she's she's a, a coach for sort of corporate people, for sports people, athletes, and then just individuals as well, and sits you down and kind of talks through what you want out of life or if anything is bothering you. And Yana, that can be very confronting, as you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I I don't know, like I've, I feel like I've been in the public eye and talking for about 23 years. So I sort of know where my boundaries are. But listening back to my episode of Power Talks, I was like, wow, you really let her 
get personal and I was glad of it, but I was also quite surprised listening back at how thoughtful and unguarded I could be in this situation where, you know, you are definitely talking to more than just Kemi. You're talking to an invisible listenership. Yeah. And that's really interesting because as you say, you've been in the media for decades now. So you think you'd be, you know how to be on, right? And And so that's really interesting that that kind of disappeared for you when you just went right into the experience. Mm. I think it's if you feel like you've got something to hide, like, oh, yeah. I don't want them to know that about me. <laughs> There's a point in your life, I think, where you just surrender, like, oh, I just don't care anymore. Yeah. Like, you've probably heard it all from someone, if not me, and you're not going to be shocked if I say <laughs> something a little bit weird. But also that lovely acceptance that you find of yourself where you're like, you know what, I love me anyway, so I will just be raw. So she asked me about how... I want to see myself and if there's anything I wanted to achieve. And look, I don't want to give away the episode because I want people to listen, but there's a bit of a twist in the ending. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, what is she? She's a magician. God damn it. Like <laughs> this just isn't sort of big because you kind of want it to be a setup with a payoff. Mm. And I felt like maybe I can't deliver the payoff. You know, I want to be selling this idea that I can be amazing and, and change or, or take a leap. But in actual fact, you know, I'm pretty tethered to my life as a parent, as somebody with jobs and and mortgages. It's hard to make a leap when you're in that situation, you know, but the leap actually did take place. Yana, but she had to point it out to me. So I really hope people can listen to the episode because it was very illuminating for me. That's brilliant. And I think, you know, so many people will relate to that, you know, that that feeling of being stuck and, you know, you've got four kids, I've got three and we're just constantly in this state of chaos, it feels like. And I'm similar to you in the fact that I've kind of got my fingers in lots of different pies. So my attention just in my own professional life is everywhere all at once. Then I've got three kids who all have separate needs and timings and logistics and all of that. Then the house, I mean, don't even get me started on the house and all the rest that comes along with that. So the theme of your episode is the power of the pause. I don't know how I can fit a pause into any minute of my life. That's brilliant that you've been able to kind of unpack some of that and and get an aha moment. But like, how do you manage juggling all of these things and all of these kids and commitments and all of that? Well, one of the things that was a bit of a game changer for me was quitting alcohol. Because I think if you've got a regular alcohol habit, whether it's problematic or completely under control, if you're starting to crack open a wine at, say, 6 p.m. every day, then you're not really going to be able to function on a number of levels after 6 p.m. every day. So you're giving up like hours and hours of your time. And if you've got kids, you don't have very many spare ones. So sometimes for people like us, it might be after they go to bed, you get two good hours. If you've been drinking, you don't have two good hours Mm. anymore. So that's a really crucial one. But I did want to say, (laughs) you just said, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies. I always... (laughs) think there's sexual connotations. (laughs) It's like I'm fingering all these sex pies. (laughs) Sex pies. But yeah, it is. I think it's like there's certain personality types, you know, that can do it. I'm extremely organized and I'm really good at lists and ticking things off. And so Mm. running my household or running my jobs, you know, I've just kind of got a real methodology about it. So it's not chaos. It's actually quite organized. Mm. And and the thing is, okay, here's a confession. I missed a plane the other day. (gasps) 
Yeah. And I was so, I felt such a crushing sense of failure because it was all my fault. It wasn't the airline. It was me getting the times wrong. Uh, and it, co- it cost me a huge financial sort of tariff, you know. So I talked to a friend who similarly tries to get a million things done per day. And she said, this is actually the collateral that we pay for getting so much done. And I kind of went, yes. thank you. Thank you. Because I rarely do stuff, stuff it up. So once in a while I might, and that's the collateral for getting a million things and being highly, highly productive. So I do get things done, but I do muck up once in a while. Okay. I'm glad you haven't got it all figured out because you were starting <laughs> to like make me feel like, like, hmm, no, I'm pretty organized. We do have, like, I'm a list person too. I like, I've got to see all the things that are coming up so that I can slot everything. And you know what it's like with a busy family? It's like, all right, this is today. You're going to take that one. I'll take this one. Then I'm coming back for this and you do that. And then we'll swap and then you do that. And at any given minute, you've got to renegotiate those things because something happens or a kid, there's a call from the childcare or the school or, and you're constantly negotiating every minute of the day. Okay. Actually, well, I'll fit this in here. So, you know, I think you're right. There is, there's collateral. I love that. It's really helpful, isn't it? Because you can't can't be perfect. But the list thing too, I think there's sort of sexiness in that. Like I have a tremendous love of ticking everything off. Mm. And the worst thing that I do is, I mean, it's it's good, bad. It's bad, good. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, I have 10 whole minutes spare. I'm just going to slot something else in there. Like I'm going to pick up the dry cleaning or, you know, run to the fish market or some stupid little task that I'll add in there just to keep myself really like pumping. And that's one of the things Kemi talked about was, you know, do you need to sit in the pause Mm. and just take a moment to inhale? One of the things about that episode of the podcast is there's there's pauses in the actual conversation, which is as a podcast, as a broadcaster, you know, you kind of like, how much can we massage silence into this storytelling? And it's um it's pretty, it's actually pretty fun in a way that an artist might leave white on a canvas is like Mm. leaving silences in a conversation. Interesting. Yes, I do that in my therapeutic work. You've got to hold the space. There are intentional silences and they're comfortable or uncomfortable, you know, but important. And it is, it's interesting in a broadcasting setting, that kind of instinct to fill the space. So that's really interesting. I I did notice at the start of your episode, there was a pause and I looked at my phone just to check that it was still going. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, I could (laughs) see what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be careful as a broadcaster because you don't want people thumping their television sets going, is it broadcast? What's is the wireless cracked? What's going on here? Yeah. It's it's a very funny um, massaging of that art form and, you know, seeing how far you can push it as well. Yeah. And so have you been able to continue to apply this kind of notion of, finding the pauses and sitting in the pause? Or are you still madly filling the 10-minute gaps as they appear? Well, a little bit of both. And let me just tell you that I do get a thrill out of filling those 10-minute gaps. So <laughs> don't try and take that away from me, Anna. Um, but there, there is a flow on. From what Kemi and I talked about, there was a flow on um, in the form of meditation. As somebody who's quite energetic and always trying to achieve, I was always like, yeah meditation that sounds really boring (laughs) I'm bored already and you know for years people have been saying you should try meditation it's like you know gym for your brain I'm like (laughs) (laughs) 
But anyway, and then of course I tried it and I was like, oh my God, have you heard of this thing? It's called meditation. <laughs> You've got to try it. It's the revelation. Yeah. 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 So I think that's a form of um, intentional pausing, you know, mm-hmm. to, to say this is where I'm allowed to just inhabit my body. And inhabiting the body, I'm sure this has come up in your therapy many times, but just knowing that this is the space that I am occupying and to be sacred about it and and really spend time listening to it, feeding back. And I, I just love that for everybody I know to find ways to listen to your own body when it wants to tell you what's going on with it. Yeah. Oh, so often we ignore it. So what does meditation actually look like for you? Because for you know a lot of people, it can be different things. I know for, for me that intentional sitting and doing a proper meditation actually spirals me into anxiety because I'm focusing on my breathing and then I start like having almost a panic attack because I'm like, am I doing, I'm breathing weirdly. Oh my God, I'm having a stroke. Like, you know, completely (laughs) terrible. But I get that meditation effect by going for a walk. Yeah. And, you know, kind of zoning out that way. Yeah. And and I think when you hit a flow state, which is, you know, what a lot of yogi people type, you know, yoga people talk about is that flow state. I get that flow state, by the way, when I'm cooking. Mm. So, you know, I write cookbooks. I'm really into food. I've got a cooking podcast. When I'm in the kitchen, I really just completely disappear from anything that's worrying me. Wow. Which is very wonderful. But the meditation can just be sitting. I listen to an app called Insight Timer, which has got a bunch of free stuff on it. And the other thing that I wanted to say about that checking in with your body idea and that meditation kind of idea is one of the books that I've co-written with Dolly Doctor is about consent and talking to young people about consent, particularly teenagers who are experimenting with sex and maybe having their first experiences, is the same idea of checking in with your body. Do I like this? Does this feel good? Is this what I want? Am I feeling safe? Is it pleasure or is it fear? And sometimes when you're, say, 15, you don't actually know for sure. So you need to take a little bit of time to allow your body to feed back to you, to say Mm -hmm. you're feeling good or you're actually a little unsafe or, you know, actually maybe you should just ask for a break because you don't know what you're feeling and that's okay Mm -hmm. as well to know. So that sort of feeling of intentionality about your body and allowing yourself to cherish it, your body, even if it's lumpy, even if it's dimpled, you know, um, to stop thinking this body deserves less than me Mm -hmm. or it's a separate thing. We're all sort of united as our bodies and our souls and it will tell you what's going on. So if you feel a fear reaction you need to listen to that so it's such a key Mm. message isn't it in talking about consent but also just just anything like sexual fulfillment um Mm. you know dancing yeah (laughs) Am am I enjoying this a really tricky thing to explain but once teenagers can kind of plug into that I think it's a real gift for them well this is so important because as you know I chatted with Jess Hill about consent and her brilliant series asking for it. And there's a lot of focus on the other perspective, isn't it? It's somebody seeking consent from their sexual partner about the interaction they're going to have. But this is actually about giving consent within yourself to what you feel is okay and not okay within yourself. I love that concept. I work a lot with young people and I work at a school and you know, I work with older teens as well. And this is such a, like, it's just an area that's not really talked about. Sex ed has been removed from so many 
curriculums in, especially in here in Victoria. I know they're not teaching health the way that they used to. And it's crazy because it's more important now than ever. So I'd love to hear more about this book. This is, is this book, this is your new book coming out this month, isn't it? I've got a new book coming out this month called Welcome to Sex, which is yeah. totally the sex education that every kid needs okay. and they're not getting from school. And it it's, thrills me deeply to be able to talk about it because Dr. Melissa Kang, who's the co-author of this book and very much the, the engine and the brains behind this particular issue, mm-hmm. she's been wanting to write this book her entire career. And wow. for 20 years of that career, she was Dolly Doctor. So Dolly Doctor's longest serving doctor. Amazing. And so she read all those letters and emails that came in from young kids saying, Anything from I don't know how to kiss properly Mm. to what is oral sex or I can't get a tampon in, you know, just really 101 stuff of sex ed that people don't have anywhere to turn to. And it's so great to talk about Jess Hill and the documentary um, Asking For It, which was on SBS this this month. So I think Mm. it's still there if you want to find it. Because basically, if we can be honest as parents, sex ed is coming from porn. Our kids see sex from porn and really not anywhere else. Yeah. So uh, in in the new book, Welcome to Sex, which is sort of pitched at, say, 10-year-olds to 15-year-olds, but really anyone our age would learn something. And my 8-year-old has had a flick through. She thinks that all the body part drawings are fantastic she can't get enough of it (laughs) but I just I wanted to illuminate like a page that even I kind of went oh that's very bold it was what is fingering and there was a picture of what a vulva looks like and fingers going into it and I was like that is extremely like confronting and I wonder if parents are going to have an issue with that and then I I reflected on it because of course I want people to see the book and I want children to be able to flick through and get an idea of what fingering is because guarantee they're going to hear about it in the school ground and the only other place where they would see that is porn and it's not going to be done right it's not going to be done hygienically consensually or with women's pleasure in mind so why not have an alternative reality to porn that is our book that yes it is bold and blunt and graphic at times but it's truthful it's researched and it's safe so unlike porn which is infinite and you will find yourself in places you did not know existed that are not (laughs) safe for children the book is the finite resource that you can just hand to them or you can flick through yourself so you know how to have those conversations how brilliant I mean, when I was growing up in year seven, the book that was all the rage was Judy Bloom's Forever because there was a really hot sex scene towards the end. So we people would, we, like my whole group of friends, we would someone would steal it from the library underneath <laughs> the mon- the thing that goes off, you know, if you haven't. Oh, yeah. Everyone was too embarrassed to actually borrow it out mm. and we'd all hand it around and be pouring over it. And the other one was those books from the 70s, which is like, where did I come from? You know, which are cartoon animated sperm and that kind of thing. And it's, yeah, the nude pictures were exciting, but (laughs) how much detail was there? You know, it was very basic. I know. And it was also selling this idea that sex is penetration and sex is so much more than that. And actually sex can completely bypass penetration and be the exact sex that you want. Mm. So I think that even as a, you know, a fairly educated and an open-minded adult, it's pretty, um, I think it's a bit crushing to go, oh my God, have I been doing it wrong my whole life? <laughs> because you don't have to do it according to this script that we all thought, you know, there's meant to be some kissing and some snuggling and then maybe some oral and then some penetration and everybody's happy after the fireworks conclusion. Yeah. 
And it really doesn't have to be like that. So that's one of the things we talk about in yeah. Welcome to Sex is there's a smorgasbord of options and you really do get to choose. You don't have to follow a mm. linear kind of pathway that's the same every single time. Not everyone wants yeah. that. How brilliant. Oh, my God, these kids are so lucky that this is where we're at now. I mean, I guess I guess the flip side of that is there's all the damaging stuff that we're trying to counterbalance now. But it sounds like that's what you're doing. And and your other book, is that Welcome to Consent? Is that yes. one called? Okay. Yeah. And that one's yeah. available now? Yeah. It's been okay. out for about a year or so. And that's the one that got New York Library's top 50 books for children for wow. last year. Yeah. Congrats. Was, that's amazing. It was so amazing. And we also wrote one called Welcome to Your Period. So if you, you've got a kid who's expecting to start menstruating soon, it's a really good resource for them to feel kind of confident and empowered about here, here it's coming it's going to be fine how brilliant you really do like to keep busy you've got all these books <laughs> you've got at my last count I think you're hosting three podcasts at the moment is that right that's right yeah ladies okay. we need to talk is in production at the moment so there's new episodes about to drop okay ladies. and then we've got is it the five minute food fix yep and scene Scene on SBS. Yeah, you've done your research, Anna. Thank you. You know, I'm not going to come into this blind. (laughs) Yeah, and it's all been yeah keeping me busy, and also I just I just love to be able to share you know really great stories with people, not about me, obviously, obviously, but you know about really really interesting people. Next on The Curious Life, Yumi runs an idea past Yana, which once you hear it, really makes sense. It's coming up right after this. This episode of The Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com. You know you want to. There's other things that in doing the research I discovered we have in common. One of them is not a great thing to have in common, but your dad and my mum both died too soon and they're both 58 and we were both obviously way too young. And I'm wondering what that or how that loss has shaped you because it's obviously it's been 20 years for me now and that loss has obviously transformed and meant something different at different phases of my life. And I wonder how it's impacted you beyond the obvious, the grief and the the loss, whether Mm -hmm. it is something that you reflect on and whether it changes the way that you do things at all. Yeah, well, it definitely changes things in that you suddenly lost this resource. You know, I used to be able to say, hey, Dad, what was the year that you went to Japan? Mm. I can't ask him that anymore. Or, you know, things about his father or his mom. it's all, it's kind of a lost, it's lost to time now. Yeah. And that frightens me. It's like, oh, my God, I need to archive more stuff. I've got a terrible yeah. memory. And then I think also the way that you are politicised as you become an adult and then become a mother, become a worker in, in various work environments, it really makes you think differently about your own parents and how they operated in various roles as a parent, Mm -hmm. as a worker, as a boss, perhaps. So 
I've come through a lot, yeah, and I with, with my <laughs> thinking about my dad because he was a person I thought drank too much but it was also a product of his time. You know, that's what people did back then. He was very much the patriarch and my mum did all the homes duties, which was also what everybody did back then. So you go from being kind of really annoyed and this is so unjust and how dare he to kind of like a little bit more reflective about what he missed, you know, as a man who was um, boxed in, in a fairly sort of toxic idea of what men could be. There wasn't much softness permitted to those men. It's true, isn't it? And it, it's it, that interesting moment where you start to see your parents as real people and with their own issues in culture and society and, and all of that in a time that we can only guess really what it was like. Mm. And so what about for your kids? How do you, because for me, you know, I talk about mum and try to make her like a real person for my kids. And it's interesting asking them, like, what do you think? you know, she's like, who's this imaginary person in your mind? And what's she like? How do you kind of keep him alive for your kids? The the honest truth is I barely do. I mean, I, I live in a different city to my mum who's alive and even she's barely there <laughs> in their minds. It's so hard. I mean, you know, we're very much about plowing the fields of our modern day families, which are our friends and fertilizing and growing and developing those connections with people because they're so deeply meaningful. Yeah. And I can't tell you what a sense of achievement I have that I have friends that are, have been my friends for 20 or 30 years. Mm. I, I just think that's that's a real tick, you know, go yeah. you, Mick. But maintaining the relationship with the grandparents is, is really pretty tricky. Mm. And I'm finding a sense of grief about my own mum, who, as I said, she's alive. She's turning 80 this year. And I realised that when she passes away, we will lose our connection with Japan. Mm. She's the, the living and active thread that connects us to her home country. And once she's gone, that connection will be, it will actually evaporate. There are people there that are my distant cousins and, you know, my uncles, but that connector that person who is the thread, she'll be gone. So I've tried very intentionally to take them to Japan. We did it this year. We only did it like a month ago with her to see her in her home city, to see her with her friends and family, to see her speaking Japanese and and being the boss and showing us around Tokyo and to understand that that thread connects to them as well, you know, Mm. and God knows, like, I think this is a real migrant story is we know the thread is very tenuous and it might be just onigiri and seaweed and a little bit of sashimi yeah yes song or a toy but <laughs> and it, it's not enough but it's better than nothing so we're yeah. we're going to start there and build on it yeah oh that's incredible I I get very nostalgic about stuff like that as well and I'm already grieving everything before it's happened and maybe that's a you know side effect of having been through it it's terrible waste of time and energy but it's something I think about and I've got a similar story you know my dad's from Europe and we went to Poland with him and he was he took my brother and me you know many years ago and we had the same experience but I do often think like when he's gone that's it yeah we're suddenly at the top of the family and you know what's that experience oh god I'm getting very deep here but like what does that do for our kids what are we teaching them what traditions what are the links where does all that does it all just wash away and are they just Australian kids there's so much there with our family links and our ongoing stories it's sort of interesting to me how people kind of keep all of 
the family stuff going. Yeah. Yeah. And the tradition and the culture mm. and, and, you know, wanting to assimilate, but does that mean erasing what came before? The fact yeah. is I, I couldn't name my great, great grandparents by their first mm. names. The line does disappear once they've yeah. gone, the line is gone. Yes. And look, you've got a, a big wide range of kids, haven't you? You've got a couple of almost grown ups really. And then mm. two younger kids in primary school. So how, how's that trans? Like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't even imagine. Like how are you, you're almost like through one door with the older ones and then you're redoing things again with the younger ones. Yeah. So it's so true. So my eldest is 21 and then the next wow. one's 18. And then I've got a seven and an eight year old. So two little clusters of of siblings and they're all really wonderful. I heard you talking to Georgie a couple of episodes ago about that that hecticness of newborns and <sighs> and being so deep in it. Yeah. The thing that happened with having a second batch of kids was I felt much more at ease that this was finite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that 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 2 hours yeah. of sleep situation they've covered in milk and smelling cheesy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understood time a bit better that this yeah. will pass, it won't be like this forever. And I think the other thing that I really remember with such vividness is with the first two babies we were quite poor and it always felt like we were kind of on the edge of can I actually afford this yeah that was the constant question whereas with the second two I had more financial security mm-hmm. and what a freaking gift that is for yeah. a new mum is like to not be sweating every dollar yes and I would wish that for every mum that somehow they get mm-hmm. a little windfall before they hit that spot where they're incredibly vulnerable financially yeah. one of the things that we're talking about on this year's ladies we need to talk the ABC podcast is an idea that I want to run by you mm-hmm. okay so Every woman who has a baby who's in a relationship generally has to take a hit financially and Mm. it's just accepted. Yeah. And we all know the stats about homeless women in their, in their fifties and sixties, that this is the growing, the fastest growing cohort of homeless women. What about if before we have the baby, we have an agreement with our partner, whether they're male or female, that they will pay half of their super to us Mm. the entire time we are not earning money from our jobs they just pay half their super to us so it's fair and equitable yeah and it seems like on on paper very logical and yeah of course but to actually say yeah you need to pay half of your super to me I think it confronts the sexism at the heart of parenting Mm. really in a very very illuminating and slightly terrifying way. Mm. And it it sort of raises the question for me. I th- I think the people that would argue against that maybe are the same people that might argue against a prenup as well because it's almost saying well you're investing in a hypothetical future where we may not be together down the line. Yeah. And from a rational perspective, you know, yes, we know the statistics on relationships not working out. It's massive. So I I totally get it. And it's also there is all that time and that emotional labor and everything that you, that women generally are putting into raising those kids, at least for however long you're taking that mat leave period for, for each kid. I, I think it's a brilliant idea. It's brilliant, Absolutely right? Brilliant. Yeah. But I, I also think that many of us would struggle to to initiate the conversation and then follow it through that the money was actually paid into our super account. 
Yeah, it might just be a conversation like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, and yeah. then it sort of goes away. Yeah, yeah. it's never spoken of again. <laughs> yeah. Because I yeah. think at the heart of it, we're expected to take the hit because we're meant yeah. to be self-sacrificing and we're yeah. meant to give up all of these privileges just for the sake of becoming mums. And that is bullshit. Yeah, it absolutely is. There's no way around it. You know, we were looking at, we've been in one of those really lucky positions with our mortgage in that we got that incredibly low interest rate locked in for three years must have been during COVID and that's coming to an end in the Mm. next month or two and the jump is outrageous but I was looking back at our finances for the last seven years and I can see all these like highs and lows and then I realized of course it's because I keep having to dip out of work to raise and look after these kids, it just never really, I hadn't actually seen it on a piece of paper like that, where I can see the massive kind of lows when I'm not working and then, you know, how things come back up and then I do it again and then again. And I just think, you know, I'm in a lucky position that, you know, I have got good employment and ways of making money and I am in a, a position of privilege compared to so many women. There's no question about it. But it just feels like there's no way out of that. There's no like Centrelink situation that's going to make things okay for Mm. families. There's no, I mean, you might get a small amount of money from Centrelink. It's not livable money. So I do, it does make me think like, what do these, what are so many women and families doing in these moments? There's no other alternative. Someone's got to be home with the kid. You can't afford the childcare if you've been on leave and and you don't want to necessarily give up your baby at three months into a care system so that you can pay for the childcare. Like it's a fraught situation. It is fraught. One of the people I interviewed today at the ABC, she said off off air, I hope I'm not putting her in, I don't think I am. She said off air that she and her partner have been stealing groceries for the last 10 months so that they can eat. It's not like we're stealing fancy lipsticks, man. They're yeah. stealing food so they can eat. Yeah. It's a really it's a really tough time for a lot of families. But yeah, this idea that your incomes will bounce, but women are supposed to take the hit. Yeah. Or the cost of childcare is weighed up against what the woman earns. It yeah. actually should be balanced out between what both people earn. And yeah. she should be totally allowed to go back to work to advance her career and earn that super that she hasn't been getting. Yes. Not to mention get out and amongst it if she, that's what she wants to do. Yeah, exactly. So what kind of feedback have you been getting from people? Have you been asking them this question about super? I have. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, great idea. But I haven't met one person that's actually done it yet. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just it's just one of those things. It's a bit like people that used to take their husband's surname. You know, there's sort of a bit of a blind spot or an inability to kind of cross a threshold because it's just what we've always done, which frankly is not a good enough reason, but it does make having these conversations very tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm angling hard for my children to have my surname. And even at this late stage, I keep saying, I think we need to change them. I just I just <laughs> think we need to do it before they get too old. Yeah. And why is your name more important than mine? And he agrees with me. He's like, no, I completely see your point. Why should you have to give up your name? I get it, but it's also important to me. It's our, it's my identity and it's your identity. What's the middle ground? How do we? So he's open to it and he, mm. we're having the conversations a little bit late because automatically I just followed the patriarchy oh I've had a baby okay the surname (laughs) is and just like straight away put his name down 
makes no sense. It makes no sense. No. I bet your surname is better than his. Yeah, it is. My yeah. surname's Firestone. It's a great I mean, name. His is a very complicated Dutch name. It's just never going to be rolling off the tongue in the same <laughs> way. <laughs> Maybe you could roll the two things into one conversation, surnames and super, and here's all the paperwork. Just sign here, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> if you could just back pay me for the three times that I was on leave, that'd be great. By this date, please. End of financial year. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> That's it. I love it. Oh, so, I mean, you're obviously, you know, a feminist thinking, all doing person, which I love. I love all the things that you're doing and all those, sorry, fingers in all of those pies. <laughs> but <laughs> you've also sex, got a book. Sex pies. Yeah. You've also now got a book that explains exactly how to do that with graphics. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how do you, how do you take care of yourself? I know you're not drinking, but yeah. what is, what is self-care? For Yumi Stein. Yeah, self-care for me is definitely exercise. So I realize that not everybody gets the same high off doing an, you know, a workout that I do, but I feel just immensely great. Mm. And I'm like, if endorphins is my drug, that's pre- I'm pretty good with that. So yeah. I try and get a hit of endorphins once a day at least, maybe twice a day, but th- that's a real thing that I do. And I also have started probably in the last five or so years is really working trips into nature, Mm. um, into my life. You can't do it every day and live in Sydney, I don't think, but maybe you can do it every month or every fortnight is just get out of the city and go for a walk, even if it's, um, you know, in a national park that's an hour drive away. There's something incredibly restoring about being in nature Mm. and I've seen it actively work on my kids as well. So they, they, they can be a little screen addicted. And get, they get all what I call pixely, you know, when you, you're trying to talk to them and their eyes are kind of glitching because they're so <laughs> immersed in their thing. So when yeah. they're glitching out, I'm like, right, let's go. And we put on little backpacks with water and whatever else you need, maybe some swimmers, hat, sunscreen, go. That's all we need. Just a few hours in the forest. And you can see them just kind of detox from city life, from too much screen time from needing the constant um, endorphin hits or, or dopamine yeah. hits of, of a screen. So those two things, exercise and nature, are, mm. are my self-care. It's so funny how easily you forget these things. And this is, I spend all day talking to people about like self-care and all of those things. But I took a little trip just with a girlfriend and my youngest up to Queensland like a month ago. And I was just sitting on the sand every morning we'd have brekkie and I'd take my little one to the beach and we would just sit in the sand for an hour and the roaring of the ocean and just staring at that open horizon and taking it all in I swear within 24 hours I was changed on a cellular level like normally it would take me a good 10 days if we were on if I was on holiday quote unquote and not working it would take me at least 10 days for my shoulders to unstitch themselves from my ears. And I think within 24 hours of just being pounded with that ocean sound and having nothing but water to stare at mm. completely transformed me. Yeah. It's like you, you, your skull has been cracked open like an egg Yes, and you get to see an actual horizon with no one populating it. 
yeah. and some air gets in and you get to yeah. wash out all those kind of those glitches and the, the yeah. calcium build-ups in your brain. Yes. And un, sort of unburden it. It's a wonderful feeling. Totally. And I think it's a bluey episode as well called Holidays. It's just out. It's totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's so easy to forget though, to do those things. And it doesn't have to be a plane trip to Queensland. It's just, as you say, just getting into a non-city area and breathing in that air and taking in some greenery. And I think experiencing a sense of awe, Yana, is really Mm. important because we we can kind of get a bit consumed by our own sense of importance sometimes and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm at the beach, but I've got to send this email. I'm very important. People people need me. I'm busy, busy, busy. Um, To set your phone down and go, actually, this is all so much bigger than me. This is going to be, the waves are going to be pounding in long after I'm dead. So just set down your sense of importance and um, and breathe it in and allow yourself to be in this moment. Yes. Yeah. There's that pause. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get the pause, that, right. that pause in life. It's just so important. And I, I think you're right. I think every single person listening to this would relate to that constant modern affliction of busyness and it's not like we're trying to be busy and busy makes us cool but we're just genuinely I think everyone's more busy now than we than in any other era before it's a crazy level of busy finding moments of pause in whatever version that is for all of us I think will pay dividends yeah, and I disagree. I think I think that a lot of us do feel that busyness is cool. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and, and you know right. we we love to feel needed and important and you know under in demand. Mm. I think it's about strategically hierarchizing, if that's even a word, the things <laughs> that are making demands of you, and yeah. realizing where the line is and go. Okay, I don't need to do that stupid thing right now. Like I can I can actually sit with my kids and look in their eyes yeah freak them out <laughs> making prolonged eye contact <laughs> holding their hands um yeah. no but you know what I mean like actually yeah. d- deeply engage and do the meaningful stuff that is up that you remember when you're on your deathbed and going what did I do with my life did I yeah. make some, some something of this little chance I got and hopefully the answer is yes I know I, every day I say the same thing to myself like um today is going to be the day where I'm just actually going to that you know that time after school to before bed I brace myself for that like every day because it's just hectic the kids are tired they're loud they're messy they're needy they're just in my space and I'm tired and it's just all too much and I'm just like racing to get to bedtime so that then I can have that breath and that pause but I guess you know we need to find ways of having that breath and that pause in the moment with them in the midst of all of that energy and noise and chaos. I know. It's so hard. And the other day my son was like, can you come and play with me? And I was like, I think I'd rather cook dinner and look at my phone. (laughs) Yes. And then later I reflected on that. I was like, Yumi, you should get sacked for that choice. So I've made it. I'm very mindful that next time I'll be like, yes, I will come and play badminton with you, even though, you know, it's cold and I have to put my shoes back on and, you know, sure. It's going to mean a lot to him. Yes. Oh, it's just a minute. Just in, I just yep. have to, I just have to, I just have to. But you're right. So often that I just have to is me just like, hang on, I'm just looking at something on Instagram. I just, <laughs> it's so important. I might need really... to buy this new thing. This yes, thing. yes, yeah. exactly. There's a sale on it, my favourite. <laughs> hang on a minute. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Oh, Yumi, this, this has been so lovely. I'm so 
grateful to have had this time with you today to chat about all the things that are happening in your life. Thank you. Thank you to you, the fierce Yana Firestone, warrior woman and podcaster. <laughs> just, just following in your footsteps, that's all. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. You're welcome. And just before you go, where should people find you and all of your amazing things? So listen to Kemi Nekvapil's um, podcast. It's called Power Talks and it's free for anybody who can find Audible. You don't even have to have a subscription to get the free version. And then I've got books out. So the Welcome To series is available in all good bookstores. I strongly recommend Welcome To Consent for any age group and Welcome To Sex for 10 to 15-year-olds. It is just going to set them up for a safer, happier future. I really strongly believe that. The antidote to porn, really. Amazing. Um, And then, of course, I've got the podcast, Ladies We Need to Talk. Please listen. It's an absolute cracker for women. Brilliant. All right. Well, I will put all of those in the show notes. But thank you so much again. And I hope we get to do this again one day. I know. I really loved it. Thanks so much, Yana. Thanks for listening. We would love it if you left us a rating for this episode. And catch up with Yana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on Instagram and Facebook at The Curious Life Podcast. And if you're looking for a fabulous podcast editor or producer, use ours. Julie Reynolds will turn your audio lemons into audio lemonade. Check out audiolemonade.com.au.